Happy Easter. We want to welcome all of you online and we pray that God will bless us. I want us to bow our heads and I want us to pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you send your son to die for us. Not only did he hung on a cross, but he came out of that grave. And right now, Spirit of the Lord, we sense your presence here. We pray that you begin to work on our hearts this morning. As we get into the word, Father, that you will move by your spirit. That we can be sensitive to what you want us to hear and respond to your word. Convict, Father. Convict. Move. Bring courage. Bring strength and healing and salvation into someone here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord for the resurrection. If it wasn't for the resurrection, we'd be home. Ready to die and you know where we'd be going. Amen. So I want to talk about what's so important about Easter. And, and what I'm going to do this morning is that sometimes if you're a Christian and been in Christianity for a while, you've heard bits and pieces of this story. And we see movies and films and we hear. But sometimes we don't really capture the spiritual significance of what really happened. So I'm going to give you a narrative of this story. And I'm going to bring some things in here that we all need to know and understand. You see, the death and the resurrection of Jesus has changed this world permanently. And in fact, the dates of the calendars for this event, if you, people don't realize this, every time we write a date, you're using the resurrection of Jesus as the focal point. You see, because you hear people say AD, that means after the death of Christ. BC is before Christ. So what was so important about Easter? Why do we preach and why do we speak and why has this movement changed the world? Because the weekend of the resurrection proved that Jesus was who he claimed to be. The events of Easter's weekend occurred in a dramatic succession of three things that happened. And I want to cover all three events with you. The first one is this. The trial of Jesus shows his purpose. Jesus was arrested secretly at night to avoid an uprising. Now, stop and think. This was a kangaroo court. That's what it was. They didn't want an uprising, so at night they took him in to face trial. He actually went through six trials. Three religious trials. Now stop and think about that. Six religious, three religious trials and three civil trials. When the trials were finished, they had nothing to try him for. No crimes against him and no accusations that would stick. Finally, they convicted him on one count. And you know what that was? That he claimed to be the son of God. And that's why they put Jesus on the cross. Matthew 26 in verse 63, it says, but Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I charge you on the oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to, to all of you, from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. And in verses 67 through 68 of that same chapter, he said, and they spit in his face and struck him with his, their fist. Others slapped them and said, 
prophesy to us, Messiah. Who hit you? No charges. Nothing to try him other than that he said he was the son of God. You see, that kind of changes the agenda a little bit. If I tell you that I'm a good man and I'm a good husband and a good pastor and a good teacher, you might agree with me. <laughs> I hope so. But if I said to you, by the way, I'm God. Look at me, I'm God. I'm wearing a jacket and, and uh, I'm dressing, like supposed to be dressed in this time in this generation, but I'm God. I'm the only way for heaven for you. I want you to trust me. I think you all would feel a little different about me, wouldn't you? It, it would force you to make a decision. You would have to, you would have that, you have three options here. One, you would say, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Number two, you will level me a deceiver and a false prophet. Or number three, you would say, I believe you're telling the truth and I'm going to bow down and worship you and I'm going to follow you because you are God. And if you do that, you're nuts. <laughs> everyone in this room has already made a decision about Christ. Listen to me. Everyone in this room has already made a decision about Christ. You either believe, one, that he is a liar. Number two, he is the lunatic. Or number three, that he is Lord. It can't just be, I believe he's a good teacher. No, that doesn't cut it. You see, a good teacher is not going to tell you that he is God. A good person would not say that if it was not true. And if it isn't true, we ought to close shop and just leave and forget about it and turn this place into a nightclub. I think it'll make a good nightclub. <laughs> Jesus said in John 12, 47, I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He allowed himself to be put on trial so that, so that they would know by no doubt about him and who he really was. It cost him his life to pay for our sins. And we got to understand that because we, in America, American Christianity is just like a, 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 a pastime deal. We go, oh yeah, Jesus is God, the son of God. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 10 years old and I can go do what I want, live the way I want. And I'm going to go to heaven. Wait a minute. This is no casual event. This is a matter of life and death. This is a matter of hell and it's a matter of heaven. There's no cutting anything here and no shaving anything and no hiding. This is reality here. You and I were put in this world and there's two things that you and I can't have no control. The day you were born and the day you're going to die. In between those two dates, there's a choice that you and I have to make. Either he is the son of man, or he's a liar, he's a cheat, and a false prophet. He, it cost him his life. And after the trial, he was condemned to be crucified. Which brings me to part two. Jesus' death, the death of Jesus shows his passion. His passion. The crucifixion is probably the most brutal and torturous death ever, ever devised by man. It was to torture people. It was a penalty for those that they hated and despised. Even before Jesus went to the cross, he experienced that incredible pain and, and the bruising they put upon him. After six trials he went through, they turned him over to the Roman soldiers who just made fun at him. They just played with him.
and try to mess with him. They put a robe on him and they crowned him with a crown of thorns which stuck deep into the crown of his head and blood was just dripping down to the point that it was blinding him. They blindfolded him and began to beat him. They plucked his beard out and just, just to torture him. And they asked him, if you really are God, tell us who hit you. Tell us who plucked your beard. It was total mockery. Now, Jesus had the power that if he wanted to, he could trace their whole family tree all the way back to Adam and then zap them and kill them, but he didn't do it. The Bible says he remained silent like a sheep going to the slaughter. You see, church, we, what we're celebrating today is not the Easter bunny. It's the lamb of Calvary. But he remained silent because he was taking the suffering of the world upon him. Then he was whipped with a cat of nine tails. Nine long strands of leather with, with sharp bones on the end that would cut down to the skin. And with sharp bones, there were bits of lead in, in, in order to bruise deep into his bones. It is said by doctors who have studied his death and that you can literally see his back and not only see his skin torn, but you could see the bones in his back. And by law, they could only give him 40 stripes because if they give him 40 or more, it would literally kill a man. So they only gave him 39. Jesus' back was nothing but a bloody pulp before he went to the cross. And now, now he had to march to Calvary with a heavy cross on him. With all that pain, with all those bruises, he had a drag while people laughed and mocked him. And his believers wept because they finally thought, man, this is it. We're next. He stumbled as he went to that mountain where they were going to crucify him on that cross. Carrying that cross, that cross as he, he lost bunches of blood and he was fatigued. And when that would happen, somebody in the crowd either came or was selected to come and help him carry that cross for a little bit. And did you know that it was a black man that took that cross and helped him carry it? Think about that. He is no respecter of persons. He died for all people. There's no division in heaven. They ain't white and Hispanic and black and brown and yellow. No, he is a God for all people. Then they nailed him to the cross. And they drove, and I want you to listen very carefully, they drove nails through his wrist. You see, we see pictures where he was nailed in the palm. They never nailed him there. He was nailed right here. If you touch your wrist right there, you have two bones right there. They nailed him right there on that cross. And then they nailed his feet where he could bow like this and hang. They knew that because they knew the cruelty of, that, of what that would do. That method of crucifixion would bring paralysis to the muscles around his chest cavity. They knew already how that would work. At times, he could, he could breathe in, but couldn't breathe out. So to get a breath, he would have to push himself up and pull over here and just drag up and then drop. And that would completely devastate him. 
because there was no support. The death on the cross was death by suffocation. And then they stuck a spear into his side. And the Bible says that blood and water came out of his chest cavity. Doctors say that the only way you can get water and blood mixing in the chest cavity is it's if the heart rips apart. You see, Jesus died of a broken heart. It actually exploded. He was saying, I love you so much. He said, you over here in this section, I love you. You up there, you, all of you right here. I don't care who you are, how old you are, how much money you got, how educated, what color you are, how, what you've done. I don't care how good or bad. I love you. My heart exploded for you to give you hope and to give you peace. Why did Jesus have to die? Because there had to be death punishment to be paid for our sins. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. It's a universal law of reaping and sowing. If you break man's law, you pay man's penalty. If you break God's law, you pay God's penalty. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the good news is that it's already been paid for us. It's already been paid. God says all you deserve is punishment because none of you are perfect. And all of you have blown it. And all of you, regardless of how you try to cover it up and how you try to project yourself to this community or to your family, before God, we all blew it and we all are destined to hell. But Jesus said, I'm going to give my life for you so that you can come and be with me in my father's house. Because in my father's house, there are many mansions. And if it weren't true, I would have already told you. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Christ says, I love you so much that I took your punishment. I'm going to tell you a little story that happened a few years ago. Well, it's been quite a while. Some of you remember, some of you don't. But many of you may not remember the name Timothy McCarthy. Timothy McCarthy was a Secret Service agent who was assigned shortly after President Reagan became president. And one day when they were going into Washington somewhere for a speech, this crazy maniac pulled out a gun and shot the president. And Timothy jumped in front of the president and took a bullet in his chest in his behalf. He was hailed the hero, and I'm, I believe we can all say he was. But at Calvary, the creator and the president of the universe took a bullet for you and I. And for us to deny that and for us to play with that and for us to kind of make that light is for us to put our lives on the line. If you don't think God loves you, take a long look at Calvary. You're blinded if you don't think that God loves you. There will never be anyone in history who loves you more than God loves you. Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. There's a lot of people sitting in this auditorium and probably will come to the next service that have been part of this church that you came here broken, rejected, addictions and trials and problems and all kind of mess. And God gave you a sense of hope. And God touched your life. And God rescued you. And God put something in you. 
When you were rejected elsewhere, God accepted you. You see, and if you look at creation and see God's hand, you will look at the cross and see God's heart and you see God's passion. And this is why Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. Ephesians 1, starting with verse 7, says, In Christ we are set free by the blood of his death, and so we have forgiveness of sin. How rich is God's grace, which he has given us so fully and so freely. And after his death, they put his body in a tomb. It was a limestone tomb dug out the side of the mountain. A couple of years ago, Miriam and I went to Israel, and we, were, we stood there where that, where actually where they put him in that tomb. Then they dug a trench around the front of it and they carved it out and put a giant millstone over the opening to wedge it shut. Now, now get a load of this. The religious rule leaders who were still frightened, they weren't completely satisfied with that arrangement. So they went to Pilate and said, hey, we don't believe that this Jesus guy is going to raise himself up from the dead like, he, like he's been telling everybody. But, but, we would feel a lot safer if you would put some official Roman, official Roman seal over the stone of his grave, of that tomb. So ain't nobody can mess with it. And we would be, feel good if you would put guards out there so that nobody will mess with it. That'll make us feel good. You see, I don't know anyone in history who had it arranged before they died to have guards next to their tomb in case they came out. I mean, I've, you can drive through cemeteries. You don't see gods out there. Say, well, I'm here because, you know, this guy may decide to come out of here. <laughs> Nana may come out and scare everybody to death. Oh, no. But this is the essence of Christianity, the resurrection. If there were no resurrection, we should just shut it down and go home. Which brings me to part number three. The resurrection of Jesus shows his power. A few years, years ago, a historian put together a list of what was considered the 100 most significant events in the history of the world. You know what was number four? The life of Jesus. At first, when I read that article, I was offended. I went to look up the author and find out where he was from to send him a message. A nice message. Because I was offended. And then I started really looking at it, and you see the deal is this. All they, all they put was the life of Jesus. You see, if all Jesus did was to come to earth and live and, and, and die like everyone else, that probably is about the best you can get for him, number four on the list. Because there have been other people that have come up and through, through, through life in this world that have had great advances and have a great contribution to society. But what sets Jesus apart from the others, he's the only one who died on a cross and he came back to life. Nobody else has ever done that. That's what makes him the most significant event, the crucifixion, the most significant event in history because it, it has never been done by anybody. Newsweek magazine, that's not a Christian magazine by no stretch of the imagination. But a few years ago, they put out an article, and I cut it out and saved it because I was very impressed. And let, let me read it to you. The risen Christ is the center of, Christ, of Christian faith. 
the mystery without which there would be no church, no hope of eternal life, no living Christ, no encounter today. No other historical figure has ever made the claim that he was raised from the dead. It was this appearance of the resurrected Christ that lit the flames of the Christian faith. It wasn't the morality of the Sermon on the Mount that enabled Christianity to conquer the Roman paganism. It was the belief that Jesus was alive. That was put in a secular anti-God magazine. It has been, he has been raised from the dead church. This is no joke. This is not about religion. This is not about denominationalism. This is not about having nice parties and dinners. This is not about coming together and just being good people. We're talking about a relationship with a living Christ who is alive, alive and living forevermore. Easter is not some memorial to a nice guy, a good religious teacher who lived over 2,000 years. It is a celebration of the fact that he lives today. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that power of his blood rules today as it did back then. I'm living proof. And so are hundreds of people here this morning. And over a billion people that are around the world right now this week celebrated Easter. Romans 1.4 says the Holy Spirit proved that Jesus is the powerful Son of God because he was raised from the dead. Historical records prove after the resurrection that he showed himself to over 500 people and others also recorded seeing him. Now, how would you like to be one of, his, one, of, one of the ones who crucified him and mocked him and said, if you're the son of God, why don't you just pull yourself down from that cross? How would you like to be one of them and now three days later you're walking down the street and you're talking to him? Uh-oh. You see, Jesus did something greater than just come down from the cross. He came back from the dead. He came back from the dead. I said he came back from the dead. And today, Jesus, listen to me, Jesus today is still on trial. In the minds and the hearts of every person who has not yet acknowledged him for who he is. He's on trial in your mind and hearts if you've never done it. You can blame God, you can blame churches, you can blame pastors, you can blame denominations, you can blame some Sister Schmuggerheimer who hurt you when you were in church, some Sunday school teacher that pats you in the head, whatever you can, you cannot get away from the fact that you have to come clean with God. He loves you, he cares for you, and people didn't die for you, he did. So right now, you know what we're going to do right now? We're gonna, I'm going to call this whole group of people in this auditorium as if we were in a courthouse and you are going to be the jury. Yep, that's what we're going to do. Because I'm going to call out some historical eyewitnesses and then we're going to pronounce a verdict because you can't face Jesus and just say, oh, I'm not going to decide. I'm, I'm not going to decide. So we're going to call Peter. We're going to call Peter. Peter, you watched Jesus Christ do all kinds of miracles for a few years. You were a drunken fisherman. Like my father used to say sometimes, he said, that guy, he's, he's good. He's good for nothing. <laughs> Peter, you were a good for nothing. And Jesus called you. 
and change your life. And you saw him perform all kinds of miracles for about three years. Who do you say Jesus is? And in Matthew 16, 16, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Let's call Martha. Martha, you and your sister and your brothers are probably some of his best friends. He dined at your house. Your brother dies. News gets to Jesus, but he doesn't show up. And you finally say, well, he, he probably will raise one day on the resurrection. He, she was probably thinking he'll come up out of the grave on the resurrection when Jesus returns for the church. And a few days later, Jesus shows up. And you tell him that, and he says, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. And he spoke to your brother, and out of the grave he came. So Martha, who do you say Jesus is? In John eleven twenty seven, 27, she says, I believe that you are Christ, the Son of God. You are the one we hope would come into the world. And then let's talk to Thomas. Oh, poor Thomas. He got labeled Doubting Thomas. How would you like to be called that? Doubting Mary. Doubting George. Bye, George. Thomas, you were one of his followers for three years. You heard everything he said would happen. And when he died, you couldn't believe that he was the one that came out of that grave, that he had been resurrected. This is what, happened, what, what it says in John 20. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Thomas said to them, unless I see the scars and the nails in his hands and put my finger on those scars in my hands and his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were together again. Now, this is, this is people miss this part. Watch this. They were meeting together indoors and Thomas was with them. This is this. The doors, catch this, the doors were locked. You know Why? Because the disciples were really afraid that they were going to come after them. The doors were locked, but Jesus came in and stood among them and said, see, at this point, he was resurrected. Now he's in a glorified body. He don't have to worry about no door. He don't have to worry about no door, no wall. He can be anywhere he wants at all time, 24-7. He don't sleep. He don't need sleeping. He is God, the risen Christ. The doors were locked, but Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hand. Then he reached and reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and belief. Thomas answered, my Lord, my God, hmm. my Lord, my God. How many of us in our desperation and our time of need, we said, my Lord. My God, help me, save me, heal me, do something in my life. Now let's interview some of Jesus' enemies. Judas, you betrayed Jesus for a bag of coins. You trash bucket. <laughs> you good for nothing. <laughs> what, do, what do you say? about Jesus before you went and hung yourself. And in Matthew 27, four, he said, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. Well, let's bring Mr. Pollard in here. 
You're a Roman pagan. You tried Jesus twice. What do you have to say about Jesus now? And in Luke 23, it says, I have examined him thoroughly on this point and found him innocent. Herod came to the same conclusion and sent them back to us. Nothing this man has done calls for his death penalty. To the thief on the cross, what do you say? Well, you were hanging on the cross next to Jesus. And in Luke 23, he said this. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done a thing wrong. Then he said, this is what he said. He repents right there. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I'm a criminal. I'm bound for hell, but I'm, I'm going to die. But I want to see you face to face when I leave this earth. Let's call the executioners. What do you say about Jesus whom you killed? And in Matthew 27, it says the officers and the soldiers guarding Jesus felt the earthquake and saw everything else that happened. And they all frightened and said, this man really was God's son. Look around. Look around you. There are dozens of people sitting right now around you. There are over a billion people around the world celebrating this event. And now it's time for you to decide. What is your verdict? It comes down to two things. One is Jesus who he says he is. Or is he a liar and a lunatic? Number two, if he is who he says he is, when are you going to start to follow him and quit making excuses and blaming everybody else as to why you're not living for God and saying, give your life to Jesus right now? Because today you sit in judgment of Christ, but one day Christ is going to sit in judgment of you. And God is going to say, what did you do with my son? And what are you going to say? I don't care. I'm going to do my own thing. I'll work my own way to heaven. There's many different ways to heaven, many different gods. Jesus will either be the Savior or he is going to be your judge, depending on what you do with him now, today. Not tomorrow, not tonight. Today is the day of salvation. This is the moment God has you here to speak to you if you haven't given your heart to Jesus. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. It doesn't matter. Bring all your junk to him. He'll clean you up. I read something to this church several years ago that I, I found written by a black pastor, S.M. Lockridge. And I think it's befitting, and I just, I, I doubt it would to do this, but God said do it. And this is what he wrote. It's entitled, That's My King. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of the ages. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limit, his love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally grateful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of the world. He is God's son. He is the sinner's savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization. He is unparalleled and he's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He is the fundamental doctrine of all the theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. 
I wonder, do you know him today? He supplies the strength of the weak. He's available for the, for the tempered and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick and he cleanses the lepers. He forgives the sinner. He discharges the debtor. He delivers the captives. Oh, hallelujah. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the ages. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the meek. I wonder, do you know Jesus? Do you know my King? He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway to deliverance. He is the pathway to peace. He is the roadway to righteousness. He is the highway to holiness. He is the gateway to glory. Do you know him? His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Oh, I wish I could describe him to you this morning. He is indescribable. He is incomprehensible. He is invisible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't live without him and you can't live without with him and you can't live without him. Yeah. Oh, let me tell you, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found nothing that wrong with him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Debt couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him down. Hallelujah. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand and lift our hands to Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the name of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. Because there are people sitting here that you need to make a decision. He loves you. And he died for you. This is not, I mentioned again, this is not about religious organizations or personalities. The only personality is Jesus. I was raised in a legalistic home, Pentecostal legalistic home, and I hated church. And I hated church people. And I hated God because all I was raised is you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. So when I got of age, I did, I did, I did, and I did. And it almost killed me. But one day I had to come to the reality that they didn't die for me, Jesus did. And regardless of all of that, that he loved me and he had a purpose in my life. And I had to make a decision. You gotta make a decision. You can't put it off. And I'm asking you that all you gotta do is accept that you're a sinner. Acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you don't have Christ. You may believe in him in your head, but believing in your head is not gonna cut it. You got to get them from your head 18 inches down into your heart and make them Lord of your life. I don't care what you've been, what you've done. I don't care what you leave here and do. Give your life to him. He'll help you change. It, it comes within time. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a while for us to change our lifestyles, to get in line with his word. And we'll work with you and we'll help you and we'll disciple you and train you and love you. And if you fall off the wagon, we'll get, help you get back on the wagon. And I don't, I'm not only talking about addiction, I'm talking about anything. But you've got to make a decision because he loves you. And if this morning you want to say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And I want to see him face to face.
one day. What would you do if sometime tonight, while you're at home with your children, whether watching television or you're doing an egg hunt, I was told of a gentleman just yesterday, Friday, at a dealership that all of a sudden fell to the ground with a massive heart attack. He didn't know Jesus. He didn't die. He's still living. But what if, what if death knocks on the door of your heart? Then what? We can't run that risk. And if you want to give your heart to Jesus, right where you're at, I'm not going to ask you to come down here. I just want you to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I want to give my heart to Jesus. God bless you, sir. Come on, raise your hand. Don't be full of pride. <laughs> this is between death and life. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you all over this place. Hands are going up. All up, and up, up there. Come on. Yes. Come on. Don't be, don't, be, don't be embarrassed. We love you. We love you. God loves you. Oh, he loves you. He loves you more than you think. I want us all to pray together. Say, dear Jesus, I confess that you're the Lord of Lords, that you're the resurrected Christ, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins and my unrighteousness, and I invite you into my heart. Make me whole. And Father, I want you to write my name in the Lamb's book in glory. And Father, I want to serve you the rest of my life. Let your spirit guide me. Let your spirit convict me and help me to grow. And let me be part of a good church that can help me. And I know that one day I'm going to see you face to face. Not as a stranger, not to be judged, but to receive in your presence. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a clap offering. Hallelujah. Yes, the Lord is good.